New Year's. New Year's was a little different this year as we have young children. And so as, as some of you saw by my post on Facebook, Kim, about nine o'clock was a great opportunity to do the horns and celebrate and go to bed. And so New Year's came a little early at our house. But I have to admit, one of our missionaries ruined New Year's for me. I don't know whether you saw what happened, but about about nine o'clock at night, there's this post that comes on on Facebook, and one of our missionaries that's about eight hours ahead said something to the effect of, you know, it's already New Year's here, we're already celebrating, and I've got to just spoil it for you, 2013 looks a lot like 2012. <laughs> and that ruined the whole thing, right there. And, and, and obviously I'm kidding, but it, it reminds me that we come to New Year's with such expectations. Expectations of something new. Expectations that everything is going to change. But the amazing thing is, is Tuesday morning looked a lot like Monday morning. And Wednesday morning looked a lot like Tuesday morning. And the, the time goes on, the days go on. And if we're not careful, the days can just all go together and time just sweeps us along and, and we just sort of go with the flow. And we find ourselves at the end of another year thinking, I don't know, what did God do? What, what didn't God do? And, and time has just gone. And so this morning is a chance for us to stop for a minute and to say, okay, no, we're going to look at this next year intentionally. We're going to look at what God wants to do at Village. We're going to reflect on what God has done on Village what God wants to do in my life, what He wants me to do, what God has done in my life. And so it's a chance, even though Tuesday looks the same as Monday, it's a chance with our own mind and our own attitude and our own decisions to say 2013 is going to be something different. It's something that we're going to see God work through. And I'd like to start this morning by by spending a few moments in prayer together as a congregation Praising God for 2012. Praising God for what He's done, how He's worked. We've been studying the attributes of God and who He is. Well, how did you see who God is this last year? How did you see Him work? And we could do that with with just talking about it, but I'd like to do that through prayer and start 2013 praising God together for how He's worked. Lord, we have so much to praise You for and thank You for. Because you are at work every day and every moment, whether we see it or not, Lord. And I thank you for this congregation, a congregation that loves you, a congregation that loves your word, that is, is deeply steeped in your word. Lord, I thank you for the people you have brought us to minister to this last year, for the, the work that you have started through various ministries. Lord, I pray as we look forward, we would be a people about your purpose, committed to your purpose, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for looking back through Thanksgiving, through prayer. I would have loved to, to just do that all, all morning. That was a, what a blessing to hear various ways God is working. This last year, we, we focused on, on discipleship. And if you, if you think of our vision statement, building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him, that word disciple is the central point of the vision statement because it's the action word. It's the, the thing that we're to be doing as, or the, the purpose of why we're building Christ-focused families. And so this last year where our theme was reproduced, called to disciple. 
And throughout the year, we focused on how God has called His church to be a discipling church. All the way from evangelism and sharing the gospel to maturity in Christ and bringing people anywhere along that continuum to the next step on that continuum. And we spent a lot of time in God's Word studying the call and showing how God has commanded that, and that's His heart for His church. And we looked at ways to do that. And if you, if you remember, our, our definition for discipling was an intentional relationship to walk life with another so that you can encourage, equip, and challenge each other with loving accountability to follow Christ and disciple others. And so it's the idea of I bring someone else along so that they can bring someone else along. And we see that in the Great Commission where Jesus says, make disciples, make imitators as I've done. And so then their imitators make more imitators. We saw that in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 as Paul shared four generations of pass this on to others. Who will be able to pass this on to others? Who will be able to pass this on to others? And so we come to 2013 being, being just steeped in discipleship so far this last year, in studying it and understanding it and talking with so many of you, hearing you, you just mulling it over in your mind, well, how does that work? What does that look like? As we come to 2013, discipleship is not something that we leave behind. It's not something that we say, well, that was 2012. We're done with it. Now we can move on to something else. Discipleship is part of who we are as a church. It's part of our vision statement, like I mentioned, the central part of our vision statement. And so as we look forward, the elders and the pastors, and we've been praying for, for God's guidance, our prayer is that 2013 is a year that we continue our focus on discipleship, but really put it into practice. It's one thing to know something in our heads, right? It's a whole nother thing to make it part of everything we do, part of our DNA. And our goal for Village this year is to make discipleship and all the way from evangelism to maturity just part of who we are. Something that we can never leave, part of everything we do, integral to our identity as Village Bible Church. So our theme for this next year is, is reproduced still, but a different sub-theme of living life on purpose for his purpose. Living life on purpose for his purpose. And if you think of that theme, there's two major parts to focus on. The first is living life on purpose. And when you think of living life on purpose, words like intentionality should come to mind. Of, of being intentional and choosing what God wants us to do. Like we had mentioned at the beginning, isn't it easy for time just to sweep us along? And for us to wake up and suddenly it's July and we're celebrating July 4th together and where have the last six months gone? And that's the way, that's the way life happens. Life is so full, especially in Southern California, as we have responsibilities and this, this night and this, this night and this, this night. And if we're not careful, we could do something every night of the week, every morning of the week, and we could wake up and everyone else has decided what our purposes are. Events have decided what our purposes are. And we've lived six months of life and, and maybe we've lived six months of, of life that has gone well and we look back and say, well, I have no major complaints. You know, I didn't, didn't fall apart in this way. But we want as a church to be able to look back and say, what did God do those six months? 
What did God intentionally do? And that means we have to live life on purpose. That means we have to, at every moment, say, what does God want me to do here? How can I live according to his purposes? And that's the second half of the theme, living life on purpose for his purpose. We can live life on purpose for all kinds of different reasons. My purpose in life could be to make money. And if my purpose in life is to make money, I could live life on purpose and dedicate everything I do to making money. But where's the eternal value of that? Where does that leave me? It leaves me with emptiness. It leaves me with nothing. So living life on purpose is, is, is valuable, but only when we're living according to his purposes. When we order our lives, when we order our priorities, when we order everything that we do around what God wants me to do. Now at that point, we start to really have this tension between all the things in life that are filling our lives, that are, that are just jam-packed into every moment of the day that we can barely survive, and what God wants us to do, and leaving room for that and leaving space for that. And this year as a church, we want to look into how to leave space for that. Look into how do we need to, to live in order to live according to His purpose. How do we need to live in order to live intentionally rather than accidentally? Because intentionally will result in God doing some great things in our lives. I'm excited about where we are as a church. I'm excited about the depth of, of love for God and His Word that I've seen. I'm excited about the commitment and the passion for God that I've seen. And, and it's almost like it's this pent-up energy and this, this pent-up stick of dynamite that is just waiting to explode on the world around us. And this year is a year that as an elder board, as a leadership team, we want to say, let's put our faith into practice. Let's step out and say, what does God want us to do? What are his purposes? How can I make sure everything I do is ordered around his purposes? Even if it means changing what I do. Even if it means changing my focus. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to start this morning by talking about the verses we talked about last year at this time. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And these were the verses we saw where Paul is instructing Timothy on, the, on what should be happening in the church as he starts churches, what kinds of things are central or core to the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we read, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And we see Paul's instruction as, as he's, he's given some, some background to Timothy in the chapter before. and He gets down to, okay, this is what the church should be. This is what you should do in the church. And he says, entrust what I've taught you to other men who will be able to entrust that to other men. And he sets up this idea of discipleship, not just coming from the pastor, but coming from within the body as, as we learn, as you learn, as I learn, as we study God's word and, and just are blessed 
and amazed by who God is to pass that on to someone else. But I'd like to go back a chapter this morning to chapter one. You know, prequels are are all the rage right now. Susie and I saw The Hobbit this week. And and same characters that are really five years older that they're trying to make look 10, 60 years younger, actually. That'd be great. But we go back, and sometimes by looking back, we can get an idea of what's behind the story. And in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul is instructing Timothy what kinds of attitudes he needs to have to to do this. What kinds of, of focus he needs to have to be able to pass on truth, to be able to disciple, to be able to minister in the church. And so this morning we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 5, and say, what did Paul say to Timothy of how to live his life on purpose? How to live his life according to God's purposes? And we'll start at verse 5 and just go through a few verses to see what kind of foundation Paul sought to lay in Timothy, because it's the same foundation that we can learn from to say, how do we step out in faith? How do we actually disciple someone this year? How do we actually do what we've been talking about? How do we get involved in body life? Because as we do that, the face of village will change completely. Starting at verse 5, we see the first section of what Paul was teaching to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul is saying, I I am sure you have faith. It's there. I'm watching you walk with God. You love God. You know God. And then in verse 6, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do with it. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And Paul looks, writes to Timothy and says, you have this faith that's in you, now fan into flame the faith, the gift that God has given you. Step out and use it. So point number one, we need to resolve to make God's purpose our top priority. We need to resolve to make God's purpose our top priority. Paul here is instructing Timothy, it's time to step out. You have this faith, you have this heritage, you have this tradition. Now fan it into flame. Now do something with it. And the imagery is if you just have this little ember and you're blowing on this ember. If you've done that camping where the fire's almost out and you blow on this ember and you get the spark going and heats up and then all of a sudden it bursts into flame. That's the imagery Paul is using here. Not that Timothy has stopped using his gift, but Paul is saying it's the, the faith is there as an ember, but God always wants action with our faith. He always wants fire with our faith, flame with our faith, us to make full use of what he has given us. And so Paul here is calling Timothy to courageously put his faith into action, to get off the sidelines to not just study God's Word for His own knowledge, but to do God's Word. To do God's Word. We see that throughout Scripture. In James chapter 2, 
you see the, the author saying, faith without works is what? Is dead. Faith always is intended by God to result in action. It's always intended to result in service, in, in fruit. We saw the same thing when Jesus came to the fig tree and cursed the fig tree because it didn't have the fruit that the life should have had. See, God isn't pleased with idle Christians. He's not intending for Christians just to sit and listen and study. We could know God better in heaven. His intention for us here on earth is to accomplish His purposes. In the same way, we aren't pleased with idle children, are we? When, when we are raising children, we want children that, that just step up and, and take hold of what we've asked them to do. And God isn't pleased with idle children. He wants children that are willing to step out, to be intentional, to follow Him. Not to try to do as little as possible, but to try to do as much as possible. It's interesting, in verse 7, Paul, Paul inserts into the, this text, inserts into this admonition to, to Timothy to use his gifts to their full extent. He gives some, a clue and some attitude of how to minister. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And it looks as if Timothy was stopped a little bit by fear of, of timidity, of cowardice, of, of worry. And, and Paul here says, no, no, that's not from God. You're letting things stop you from ministry that aren't from God. And as we read that, our first question should be, what stops me from ministry? What stops me from discipleship? What stops me from putting feet to my faith? And then Paul, in just a short phrase, gives three attitudes of ministry that are worth mentioning. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of, number one, of power. Of power. In the Greek, of dunamis. Dynamite is where we get this word from. And it's this, this power that comes from God. And Paul is saying, first thing, first attitude of ministry is your strength comes from God. Your power comes from God. Ministry is tiring sometimes. Discipleship is tiring sometimes because it takes energy, it takes time, it takes commitment. And Paul's reminding Timothy that power comes from God. If you try to do it on your own, you'll fail. Second thing that he mentions is love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And that is a huge statement that we see again throughout other teachings of Paul as he talks about ministry. If we are to minister to people, if we are to, to execute God's purposes, we must be a people that love. As we minister to someone, a ministry spirit says, I love you, I have compassion on you, I'm going to work to understand where you're coming from. Without that, we become hard, we become just do this, do this, do this, and no ministry will ever happen with that attitude. And Paul knows that, and he keeps repeating that to people. He says, your attitude needs to be that of love, of saying, where are people? Understanding where people are at, 
and coming alongside and saying, let me help you go to the next stage. And what if in discipleship, we said, I am only going to disciple the most mature believers here. Makes no sense. It's like raising children and saying, I'm only going to teach my children if they act like adults. No, the purpose is to help them become adults. To, to say, okay, where are they at? And understand and to love them, to care for them, to empathize with them. That's a ministry heart. Over the years, as I have watched what is effective in ministry and what is not, a ministry heart of love is always essential to ministry. Without it, we spin our wheels and ministry doesn't happen. And so Paul says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love. And thirdly, of self-control. Of self-control, self-discipline, prudence. Not acting on our own impulses, but acting in a way that is best for God's purposes. Looking beyond ourselves. And so Paul here says, get off the sidelines, Timothy. It's time to step up. It's time to make God's purpose your top priority and not let anything stop you. And so for us, this, this involves the process of intentionally asking, how do I make God's purpose my top priority? How do I make sure I leave time to fan into flame the gift God has given to me? And, and New Year's is a great time to do that. How many of you have made resolutions for New Year's? No one. Okay, a few. Oh, but I bet you've thought about New Year's. I bet you've thought about some, some goals and things you want to do. A step to put this into practice is as you're making resolutions, as you think about resolutions, making the top one the question, how am I going to fulfill God's calling this year? What does God want me to do this year? That should be the top question. That should be the top priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. See, if it's the tenth question we ask, then all those other things will fill our time. You've seen me take rocks and sand up here before, and if you, if you try to put them into a bottle, and if you put the sand in first and then put the rocks in, you can never make it work. But if you put the rocks in first, the most important things in first, and then pour in the sand, the details of life, then it all fits. And so as we look for how do we live life on purpose, for God's purpose, we start by saying, First and foremost, before any other question, how can, I, how can I live for God's purposes? How can I make that my priority? See, it's what we choose to do. We often don't serve God. We often don't make His ministry a priority because we've chosen not to. Because we choose not to by choosing other things, allowing other things to set our agenda. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore the responsibilities God has given us. Part of what God wants me to do is to pastor my home. Part of what God wants me to do is to, to love my wife, to, to pastor my children, to lead them. But it's making that part of what God wants me to do and His purposes. 
and also making sure that that doesn't become so big in my life that it ignores that God wants to reach a world for him. Because if my whole focus is my little responsibilities, I'm actually doing a disservice to the people that I'm I'm leading. I'm harming my family. Because they need to see the bigger purpose of what God wants in his call. They can be combined. But the question is, what does God want you to do this year? How can you fulfill God's purposes this year? We read on to verse 8 as we see continued instructions from Paul, which is so powerful. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And the second point in your notes is don't let fear of people stop you from living for God's purposes. Don't let fear of anything stop you from living for God's purposes. There was shame in in, in imprisonment. There was shame in what Paul was happening to Paul. The tendency would have been for people to shy away from Paul, to not associate themselves with the shame of a criminal, a shame of someone that's under judgment. But Paul is saying, no, no, don't let anything stop you from living for God's purposes. Don't be ashamed. Don't let a fear of people. It doesn't matter what people think. There are times that I hear statements from people, man, you're just throwing your time away doing stuff for the church. You're just throwing time away doing stuff for God. People are going to say that. If you radically reorder your life to be about God's purposes, people will question you. Don't let that stop you. I've had times I'm talking to people about spiritual things and I hear the phrase, well, don't get all spiritual on me. Well, what else is there? If I'm living to God's purposes, I have nowhere else to go. We need to proudly be Christians. Proudly say, I am about God's purposes. This is not something to hide. I love it. As you guys took up the challenge a year ago, and so many of you post verses on your, your, your status updates, or in some way just make a public proclamation of your faith in God. That is wonderful. That's not being ashamed of living for God's purposes. But don't be ashamed if you have to say no to some things to say yes to God's purposes. God's purposes are such a higher calling. Third point, which is also from verse 8, we need to sacrifice for God's purposes. We are called to sacrifice for God's purposes. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And originally I had written this point, we need to be willing to sacrifice for God's purposes. But I think that leaves us an out. I I think that leaves us an ability to say, yeah, I'm willing. I'll sacrifice anything. Just don't ask me to actually do it. But what we see throughout the New Testament over and over and over is Christianity is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to surrender. It's a call to reorder our lives away from what I want to what God wants. And that means I'm going to leave some things out of my life that I want. 
That would be a lot of fun. But we're called to sacrifice for his purposes. Paul is telling Timothy, you share in my suffering. Share in my suffering. If you stand up for God, the same thing might happen to you. But you do that by the power of God. I have watched throughout the life of Village so many people make such great sacrifices. Sacrifices of time when someone is in need. Sacrifices of, of meals. Sacrifices of care. And I, and I praise this church for that. I've seen people step up and make great financial sacrifices. I thank you for that. Those are the kinds of things that represent sacrificing life and our comfort and what we want in life for God's purposes. This year we need to continue doing that. Continue sacrificing for God's purposes. When we talk about discipleship, it might be sacrificing some privacy. It might be sacrificing some personal time. It might be sacrificing going to a movie or watching a favorite TV show to invest in someone's life in a way that will last for eternity. doesn't sound like such a sacrifice when we word it that way, does it? And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about how do we order our lives around God's purposes is how do we eliminate the temporary and embrace the eternal. We can't do everything. We need to make sure that what we are doing is in line with God's purposes. So Paul says, sacrifice for God's purposes. Sacrifice your comfort. Sacrifice your your view of what life should be and what life should include to be able to teach others, to pass on His truth. Fourth point that we see in verses 9 and 10. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the importance and the centrality of God's work. Keep reminding yourself of the importance and the centrality of God's work. God's work is so much bigger than we are. And this this point attacks a spirit of self-centeredness. It attacks this, this pervasive view in society today that my life is everything. And my comfort and my joy and what I want is everything. Let's read verses 9 and 10. So Paul has just said, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you see wording there that is so much bigger than us? Before the ages begin, the work of Jesus Christ, His grace, His purpose, His salvation. Verse 10, and which has now been made, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Is there anything bigger? And as Paul is encouraging Timothy, to leave fear and leave timidity behind, to to reorder his life around God's priorities, he comes to the center point of the passage and says, it's about Jesus. It's about the work of Jesus. 
That we, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, were redeemed through the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's incredible news. That's huge news. And if we're going to reorder our lives to His purposes, we've got to see how great this news is. This is why we're going through the I Am series, to see how great God is, to blow our minds with His, His greatness, His goodness. And if we're to reproduce in a way that we live life on purpose for His purpose, man, embrace what Jesus has done for you. See how huge it is. See His calling as a holy calling because it's a, because we are about Almighty's purpose. See, who the purpose is from makes a difference. If, if your kids ask you to do something, that's one level of purpose, right? If your spouse asks you to do something, that's a different level of purpose. If your boss asks you to do something, and, and none of us really have the president coming and asking us to do something, but if the president was to knock on your door and say, you know what, I need lunch. There, there's a certain purpose there that, that comes from the position of the person asking. Well, Paul's point is, God Almighty, the infinite, the great, the majestic creator of all things, who sacrificed his son so you can have life and has given us the gospel, he wants you to do something. Since chills down my back. Because it's about God's purposes. And our temptation, our temptation because of so many different things that get in the way is, well, life's pretty busy. I'm not sure that I can do what God is asking me to do. Whereas Jesus, in some of his final words to his disciples, as he gives words that apply to the church to the end of the age, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the importance and the centrality of God's work. His ways are so much greater than my ways, so much more important. And then Paul goes on in the rest of the passage to use his life as an example, and he steps backwards through those same steps. As he says, for which, talking about the gospel and God's purposes, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. And do you see him hitting the same points in reverse order? For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This passage just hits me between the eyes as Paul is instructing Timothy how to order his life around God's priorities. And so we we use that as a basis for our theme this year. Living life on purpose, with intentionality, for God's purposes, 
ordering our priority around his priority, which is to disciple the nations for him. To reach them with the gospel, the first stage of discipleship, to bring them to maturity, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the the mission that God has left for his church. And we are his church. So it is our mission. So as we look forward, I'm excited to see what will happen when we order our lives around his priorities. When we ask the question, how will I fulfill his purpose? How will I fulfill his purpose this year? What do I need to change? What do I need to eliminate? How do I need to reorder life so that my life at the end of 2013, I can say I lived life intentionally and this is how God used it. What an amazing thing. At Village, we've ordered our our vision statement around four different areas. And and if you think through discipleship, these are the four different areas that that you proceed through in your Christian life. And God's servants are devoted to these things. They're devoted to outreach, to reaching a lost world for Christ. We know that God wants us to be his hands and feet. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news, as God talks about those that are sent. And our our outreach is to those next door, to those around the world. And so at Village, we do different things to reach out to our community. Project Christmas Touch that so many of you came to. We Again, we've seen notes come in and we've seen people come in and people accept Christ because we've reached out. I'd love this year to see us take some of what we've done with Project Touch and start to do it in some of our neighborhoods. To start to reach out to our own neighbors as a church to come together to do that. We're seeing an, an amazing influx of kids into Awana and on Sunday morning from the area we're reaching out to. And I love how Village is responding, even through things like the Awana store, which has such an impact on the kids. With the volunteers in Awana, with the volunteers in our children's ministry, with what's happening on Tuesday night with the older kids being involved, these are things that show we're committed to outreach. This year we're hoping to do two missions trips that are a little longer, as well as our Rancho Santa Marta mission trip. We'd love to send a small team to Kosovo this year to go visit Joelle and to help her and to encourage her. We'll be sending a team with Yugo again this year, which gives an opportunity to share the gospel in some great ways. We sent out Joelle this last year. We're sending out Fred and Cinda this next week. These are part of our commitment to outreach to living life on purpose for his purpose. God's servants are also devoted to building community. It's the second core value of how we put our our vision statement into practice, outreach and community. We saw that in the early church as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship together, to living life together. And as a church, we... We're called to be that community. 
And it's a challenge this year to say, okay, as people come in, as God brings the kids in, as God brings families in, how will we be community? How will we go way beyond friendly and become inclusive? I pray that we're not just a friendly church, but an including church. One of the ways that you can do that, that that fits both into discipleship and community, is through our community groups. And in your worship folder, there's a little little card this morning that if you're not part of a community group, a home group, uh, one of these groups that, that meet to discuss God's Word, but to pray for each other, to share life together, that's a great first step towards discipleship. I would encourage you to fill one of those cards out and leave it on the table in the back. The same information is on the form on the, on the website. If you go to the community group page, you can say, Pastor Ron, I'm interested in a community group. Help me find one. And those groups are just a marvelous way to be the body, to dig deeper in God's word. But the pastoral care that happens in those groups is amazing. We need to be the community God intends. God's servants are devoted to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, which is our third core value. As in Romans 12, we see that God is is transforming us into Christ-likeness by the renewing of our mind. So I encourage you to be committed to spiritual growth. This is why we teach primarily passages of the Bible and expositionally through the Bible. Or if we're studying a topic, we're studying doctrine and looking at how God's word comes into that because God has called his church to be rooted in his word. I encourage you, some of you have been doing the rooted reading. Beginning of the new year is a chance to start that again. I know we put the January's bookmark in last week's worship folder. On the website every day is the reading for the day as we read through God's word in two years. I have been blessed so many times by conversations with elders and deacons who are reading God's Word. See, as we, as we let God's Word just pervade who we are, as we include it in part of our lives, it changes us. God changes us through His Word. I encourage you to do that. Another opportunity is coming up with our Israel trip for spiritual growth, as it will be like going through a a 10-day seminary class, another commentary of how to understand God's Word. I encourage you to come with us, to consider it. It's 10 days, and I know that's hard to get off for 10 days, but it will be an incredible time of intense study of God's Word that you may never get in a different way. We'd love for you to come along. This year, as part of spiritual growth and our commitment to God's Word, we're looking to to reboot our, our adult Sunday school program and add some classes and reinvigorate that and really see us as a church participate in that together to, to study God's Word in the context of community. And so in the next few weeks, you'll see a couple of classes offered, a couple of opportunities. I challenge you to be part of that, to not sit on the the sidelines, but to say, okay, this is part of God's purpose for his church. Finally, God's servants are devoted to ministry. 
God's servants are devoted to ministry. And these four things are on the back of your notes as there are core values. And this is the idea of developing servants' hearts. How do we as a church develop ministry hearts, servants' hearts? And we want to this year as we put feet to our faith, as we put action to what we know, we want to do that with servants' hearts. And I love so many examples throughout Village of servanthood and of servants' hearts. But this is exactly what we're talking about. How do we order our, our priorities around God's priorities? This next Saturday is a great opportunity to participate in that as we have our monthly second harvest. And about 175 families come here. They come here and we're able to give food. We're able to, to pray with many of them, to talk with them, to, to, to be part of their lives. And I encourage you to be part of that. To just touch for a couple hours those that God is wanting to touch. It's an amazing time. I'd love to see this year for us to add to Second Harvest an opportunity to, to teach some of the kids that are there. To do just a little lesson, some games, and some of you that, are, that love to work with kids. This is a great opportunity because the kids are here and they're waiting and they will hear the gospel. We'd love some of you to participate in that. All kinds of different ways to be part of what God is doing. 2013. I look forward to seeing how God challenges every one of us to be intentional to live life on purpose for God's purposes. How are you going to fulfill His purpose in outreach, in community, in spiritual growth, in ministry? That's our call as a church. Because when we answer that call, Incredible things are going to be done by the hand of God this year. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we praise you for who you are, for your purposes, for your desire to see people discipled come to you and grow in you, Lord God. I pray that we would be willing tools in your hand and, Lord, that you would amaze us at how you use us this year. Pray that many souls would be one for you, that many people would be discipled, that throughout this room, people would be caring for each other and discipling relationships and being the body that you desire. Lord God, we praise you and worship you. We're excited to see what you do this year. In Jesus' name, amen.